On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, among the most important things your small brewery can offer, aside from quality beer, is a comfortable and convenient location. This month, we're talking about the aesthetics of taproom and brewery layouts, along with an unconventional location to start your pro-brewing adventure. This is John Hall, and welcome to episode 28, Location, Location, Location. It's so important that we say it three times. And when you're thinking about starting your small brewery, moving to a new location, or redoing the space that you're in, there's a lot to consider. So my first guest this month is Dustin Hawk of Hawk Architecture in San Diego. He has advice on layout and look and how to best make your brewery space a welcoming location for both your customers and your employees. And then we're off to Minnesota to talk with Scott Stroh. He's the co-founder and brewer of Chaotic Good Brewing, a specialized nano that opened up a few years ago in a shed in Stroh's backyard. From the pros and cons to his Frankenstein system to future plans, it's a brewer's profile you won't want to miss. Both of them are coming up in just a moment. A word of thanks to this show's sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Hey, Nano Brewers, Fermentus, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation, is now offering dry ale and lager yeasts in flexible 100-gram pouches. Try their Safe Ale WBO6 yeast in the convenient 100-gram pouch, the perfect solution for wheat-based beers. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit Fermentus.com. An ABS commercial is excited to be part of today's podcast. ABS is a full brewery outfitter offering brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts. As part of ABS commercials ongoing give back campaign, they're going to be giving away two more ABS keg Viking keg washers by the end of 2022. So head on over to abs-commercial.com to enter to win a keg Viking. No strings attached, just enter and you could win. That's abs-commercial.com. And whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today or go to grainfather.com to learn more. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. There's a lot to be thinking about when it comes to your physical location. A question you might find yourself asking is, how do I optimize my taproom and brewery for flow and efficiency? Dustin Hawk of Hawk Architecture in San Diego has the answers you need. From location selection to interior layout, sourcing and planning for equipment and taproom design, he's here to share thoughts on it all. And you can also find him online at hawkarchitecture.com. That's H-A-U-C-K architecture.com. He spoke to me from California. When a small brewery is thinking about either moving to the next step or opening up 
for the first time. The old adage is location, location, location. What should, in your mind, these brewers be looking at or thinking about when it comes to a brewery location, their brewery location? Well, obviously, it's really important to have a location that that you can get, bring your customers into. Um, that it's easy to find and easy to access. Um, oftentimes, those are in more commercial areas when a brewery is most oftentimes considered more of a um, industrial use. <coughs> so, kind of understanding what a, what a brewery really means and what your municipality uh, will mean as far as what they're going to regulate you. Uh, and how they're going to consider you and what areas are right for that. Um, and then the next thing we start looking at it, how much size you need and what kind of utilities to be looking out for. Yeah. What, what do you recommend size wise? You know, I mean, I I've seen some really small places put in some or some small equipment put in some really small places and some small equipment put in some really big places. What, how, how do you guide people through deciding we're thinking about what what size space they might not only need to start, but if they if they're thinking about growing. So we normally look at kind of a general rule of thumb of one barrel of square foot, or excuse me, one square foot per barrel of production per year. So if you have a, a production goal now there of say uh, you know five thousand barrels a year, then you're looking at about a five thousand square foot space. Um, now that there does have its limits on the low end of it. You can't expect to produce 300 barrels and 300 square feet. Sure. Um, but that's kind of where we start and then really kind of try to understand what they're looking to do and what their uh, goals and projections are. And, and you know, it really comes down to the minimum space you need for your bar, your tap room, your brewery equipment, and then your dry storage and cold storage. Those are the things that really grow as you're, as your uh, business grows and your production goes up, we'll design a space to carry the, the load of your seller from the beginning. So you're just adding more fermenters when you need them. Um, but it's that cold and dry storage that you run out of the fastest. Yeah. Are, are there smart ways of thinking about that in advance? Um, I, I think really just understanding what your what your volume is going to be um, and, and and what you can you know how much can you sell on site how much can you sell through uh, distro models or, or satellite locations and having that kind of figured out um, and knowing then what kind of space to look for what kind of square footage you need yeah. you know, a lot of it comes down to your tap room size too because we usually assume some kind of percentages for those you know maybe a 10 to 50 percent tap room 10 to 15 percent uh cold storage um but if you're going to have a really large tap room that and that's going to be more than 10 to 15 percent then you've got to factor that into it so your square foot per barrel goes up we saw so much change tap room wise in the early part of the pandemic, things seem to be shaking out a little bit now, but um, where places with outside space had a, had a real boom uh, in, in, in business, um, those solely inside, uh, not so much, uh, considering you know, local sanctions or uh, uh, restrictions that were put in place. Um, going forward, are, are you encouraging folks to think about hybrid models of outdoor space in advance um, or at least having yeah. the flexibility? Yes, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, outdoor space has always been a, a hot commodity for brewing because it's, you know, the way that 
that people want to enjoy the product, you know, come to space, sit outside and enjoy it. And that's always been something, but, you know, post COVID it's even stronger and more so. <clears throat> I mean, here in San Diego, it, it's pretty easy to do. We can pretty much do it year round, but it's really important to kind of consider what your, you know, what your locale is, what your climate's like and what you can do to make those outdoor spaces, maybe at least three seasons. Um, so you can use them as much as possible, um, whether that's, um, heaters, fans, uh, misters, different things are going to work in different climates. Um, but trying to make those outdoor spaces as, as usable as possible. Cause you know, even coming out of COVID people still want to spread out a little bit. I've only been to a a couple of events that were, that were seemingly pre COVID, um, (laughs) occupancies. Um, everybody still kind of stays a little bit further apart, I think, than they used to. So, oh, yeah. you know, being able to, to have a little bit more uh, area inside and out is important. What else do you think has changed in thinking about taproom layout or um, the way that taprooms can operate in the last two years, thanks to the pandemic? Um, I, I don't think it's as much on the on the taproom side as it is on the um, production, actually packaging side. Okay. So um, being able to um, to allow space for mobile canning or even in-house canning um, and cans take up a tremendous amount of space. Yeah, they sure do. So and, and being able to manage them, you can't. You know, they're just the way that 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 product raw and finished moves in and out of the facility is, is different than it was before we've done so many breweries and and many of them there was really no plan to ever can and bring in a 10 foot tall pallet of cans so so a lot of those facilities don't have a way to do that now um, so it's really got to be trying to foresee the future which is nearly impossible that's tough to know yeah how do you design a space that what's the next thing i I don't know what it is um, but we try to make spaces as adaptable as possible and that kind of goes back to the 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 tap room and indoor outdoor space and making your space adaptable for private events so you could have different size events but not shut out your you know regular traffic you know not so much you have to close the whole facility down for an event Um, yeah you know ways that you can compartmentalize those things you know, you can have an all outdoor event or an all indoor event and have the other opposite still open to the public, um, just being adaptable and ready to change at any moment. It also strikes me that there has to be like an understanding of location as well. Like if you're on a main street in a downtown somewhere, it's going to be harder to get you know, trucks in and out, even delivery vans um, or spent grain out or whatever versus uh, being in a warehouse in an office park somewhere where there's a little bit more room to drive, room to uh, you know maneuver maneuver vehicles. It, it, it's, is, is that something that you talk to folks in advance about? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's larger world expectations. Yeah. It, it kind of ties back to kind of my first comment about looking at where where you you know look at your brewery in a more industrial area and a more commercial area there's benefits and 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 you know pros and cons on both sides for whatever you're trying to do that commercial area might be more conducive to getting people to your space which is what your goal is to sell more beer over the bar um, but that may come with restrictions on how everything else works how your product comes in how it goes out um, you know you'll see a lot of breweries in those 
um, settings have some fairly inventive and adaptive ways to open up an area that lets product come in and out and off hours, but then that same space is where they, um, it, you know, the tap room takes that space uh, during tap room hours. Um, you've got to be able to make these spaces double duty and, and make the best use of what you're given. And also understanding what your town or your municipality or your area uh, allows, right? I mean, it, it can vary from, from space to space. Um, and we were talking beforehand about, you know, what sort of permits um, you might need to operate in a, in any given location. Yeah, certainly understanding <clears throat> what zone you're looking at, like where the property that you're looking at or whatever, what zone that is in and what's allowed in that zone. Oftentimes, um, you know, breweries have, have gotten or cities have gotten better understanding breweries and what they are and what they mean to a community. Um, most municipalities did not have a provision for something like a, a craft manufacturer um, and how to deal with that. Um, but often a lot of them have started doing that and understanding what that means. And maybe they're allowed as a, you know, it's a conditional use permit, but if it, if it is such a case, you've got to have some, any sort of special use permit, understanding what that cost and time does to a project, you know, that can often add four to 12 months to a project. Um, having to go through any kind of special um, use uh, issues. Maybe it's to allow the tap room, in a industrial area or allowing a manufacturing facility in a commercial area. Um, how have you, like what, what's a decent way or to, to start thinking about navigating those waters, you know, before it jumps up and surprises you, is it just research, research, research? Well, you, you would probably start with um, talking to um, seeing if there is an economic development director in your town and what, where you're looking at. They are there to basically bring business into the town and they will help you um, point you in the directions you need to do. Uh, you need to talk to a city planner, you kind of explain to them what you're trying to do and, and be willing to change your plan should they say that, you know, you can't do this here, but you can do it over there. Um, you need to maybe change something, make something smaller, make something bigger um, so that you kind of fit into the mold that they have set for that zone and for that equipment. So if you can do that, um, that's really what we're looking to do. I guess the other thing to be when you mentioned, you know, uh, timing out and everything, um, construction has become so uh, hard to schedule these days. Uh, during the pandemic and even and, and, and even now, um, have you seen build out times grow in the last few years? Yeah, somewhat. It, it really just depends. Um, you know, we, we've seen a lot of different you know, things changing in the industry and really trying to kind of follow what's what's going on. But it, it seems to change on a you know, weekly basis. Um, I want to jump back to the taproom experience. Um, and if you can talk a little bit about the aesthetics and as it, it seems like there's been a change in recent years of, you know, when I first started going to craft breweries, it was, uh, everybody was so focused on making the beer that the bar was homemade out of pallets, maybe 
and there's a couple of old couches around and it was not necessarily a fun place to hang out. And then, you know, some, some folks started putting some real thought into to the aesthetics or would just sort of, uh, it's, it's become this joke of the, you know, the, the brewery in a box where it's going to be those uh, aluminum uh, backless stools and Edison bulbs and a uh, shellac bar. Um, when, it, when it comes to, though, brewers thinking about what they want their tap room to be as like an extension of their personality or an extension of their beers, where do you encourage those thoughts to start? Well, I think that really starts coming from understanding what your brand is going to be um, and what your, your, your goal and what your product is going to be. And then start to think about how you can reflect that into your space. Um, and, and it's certainly a more competitive market and you can't just do the, um, you know, the, the empty warehouse space with the leftover pallet furniture kind of stuff. Um, it just doesn't work nearly as much as <laughs> Not, it did. When there was yeah. one brewery in town, they only had one place to go. Um, and you've got to, you've got to really do it all these days. You got to make a great product. Uh, you know, that's hands down needs to be done. Yeah. Um, and you need to have a comfortable environment and give them a reason to come to your place above, you know, can they get your beer somewhere else? You know, what, what makes them come directly to you? Cause your, your best revenue stream is that, that pint over the bar in your tap room. Um, that's, that's your best margin. So how do you, how do you do that? And it's really, you know, create a, an environment which is inviting. Um, it's tied to your brand um, and it's, it's, it's comfortable for your guests. You know, that's, you've really got to focus on that and, um, and, you know, do a lot more than what breweries used to have to do. Yeah. Authenticity matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, and I've seen a lot of spaces, spaces that do it well. Um, and a lot that don't, um, <clears throat> and it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to really nail down, but I think it, it comes down to representing your brand. Think about what your brand is going to be and what you want it to say and, and reflect that in your space. Yeah. As, as you're saying it, you know, uh, when you said some places that don't do it well, I, for me, one of the first things I actually look at is comfortable bar seating and how comfortable are the stools as opposed to how cool do they look? Cause if I'm, if I'm going to be there for a while, if I'm sitting on something that is uh, not all that great, uh, I'm probably not going to stay as long as I might. Um, are there small things? I mean, stools and seating aren't necessarily small, but you know, are there things that existing brewers can be thinking about as far as updates, refreshes, making sure that they're getting the best use out of their space right now that could, you know, um, that could be changed. Yeah. I, I, mean, did, I didn't phrase that elegantly and I apologize, <laughs> but no, yeah. I mean, it, it really comes down to budget and really understanding, you know, what, what does a, a nicer, more comfortable, more long lasting piece of furniture cost? You know, a lot of reasons that those, metal chairs sold so well is they're very inexpensive um, and they look great in a photo, but they're miserable to sit in. Um, so, you know, it's really understanding you, you, your, your building in your, your brand can't survive on a, on a um, um, pennies budget. Like
like it used to be able to. You got to put a little bit of money into it. You've got to, you know, make it make it comfortable and and spend a little bit more on that chair so that it's still there in two years and you don't replace it every six months. Um, that's that's something that you know I don't I wouldn't say there's any like low hanging fruit out there. Um, the quality is it makes a big difference. You do get what you pay for when it comes to those types of things. I had an interesting conversation over the weekend with a brewer about uh, taproom lighting and the importance of looking at what even kind of light fixtures you have or what sort of light bulbs you're using um, to not only make you know, the, everybody feel a little bit more comfortable, but also you know, make your bar and your, and your beer look a little bit better. Does that fall into the same vein of... Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's all kinds of different lighting you can do. And, you know, lighting you can really get, you know, you can, you can find some pretty inexpensive fixtures that will function just as well as some of the more expensive stuff out there. Um, but where it really comes down to is the different types of lighting and really making it, being able to make it adaptable, having it on dimmers, um, direct lighting versus indirect lighting, spot lighting, flood lighting. And you can create a lot of different moods and vibes uh, based upon what type of lighting, the, the color temperatures, the, the beam angles and different things, <clears throat> all those come into play and in, in how you lay that out. And it might be different based upon your brand and, and how you're representing yourself in that in that model you know I've, I've seen a lot of um you know more kind of dark uh dark tap rooms whether it's maybe a um a goth feel or something like that it's going to be a darker and, and different different color lighting that you're going to use for something that's a big bright airy garden feeling um brand um so you know that still ties back to that brand and and that branding and marketing and how you're representing yourself to the public as you think about how the tapper model has evolved in you know the last five or so years, even, um, do you have any insight or any thoughts as to 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 where it might be headed in the next five years going forward, or what conversations are going to be critically important for small brewers to be having? I think uh, you know um, community engagement is going to be important it always has been um you know looking at what things maybe have changed um boy just being able to adapt um you know your, your clientele is going to change the, the beers that they like are going to change um how you package and and get your product out there is going to change um, and just knowing that you just make the best product you possibly can create, create a comfortable environment and, you know, be a, be a part of the community and, and, you know, make your presence known and, and do what you can to, to be a part of it. You know, in, in creating a comfortable environment, I know we're talking a lot about uh, the customer experience, but what about the employee experience. What what are some things as you're thinking about a space that can be done to make employees a little bit more comfortable? Yeah, and that's something that I think that was you know may have been neglected in years past. You get a lot of uh, startup breweries where maybe it was a home brewer that's going to get into it, and they think that oh well, I'm going to be the brewer, I'm going to be the one doing all this stuff, so I don't need some of these other amenities, but. You know, having a, a separate space where they can 
you know, one store their space, maybe some lockers that they can you know, put their stuff in and keep it secure. Um, having separate restrooms than the tap room, uh, um, having a, a break room space where they can kind of get away from, from everything and not maybe just a, you know, I'm seeing as little as like a chair in the corner kind of thing. That's not, that's not a comfortable getaway space for them. Um, having some place where they can you know, take a break, take a breather, you know, escape mentally at least for a little bit. Um, before they come back and and having a space that you know, feels like theirs and not just kind of sharing part of the tap room or customer areas. I think that, that that's real important to um, kind of keeping that morale. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, and I know we've just sort of surfacely covered a lot in, in, in a short period, but is there anything else that's sort of top of mind that you'd like to plant ideas in the, in the, in the minds of small brewers? Um, I think, you know, some of the things that we see are some of the biggest um, uh, problems that we see that are pretty common when we start, start starting on a new project is um, um, underestimating the space you need, which everybody will tell you that, underestimating your budget. You'll always hear people say the same things. Get twice as much room as you think, budget for twice as much as you think, um, but also understanding the um, mechanical demands on the utility demands on your on your project and your site and what that can mean. Um, and, you know, going into a space that doesn't have the adequate electrical power that you need and having to upgrade those and, and getting as much of that information ahead of time as possible and putting that into your budget. You know, we try to avoid surprises and get in front of everything as much as possible. And looking at a space that's maybe underserved by the utilities doesn't make it a deal breaker if you know that ahead of time and can plan for it. I love it. Thanks so much, Dustin. I really appreciate your time and your insight. Um, and thanks for being on the show this month. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Once again, you can find Dustin and his firm online at hawkarchitecture.com. That's H-A-U-C-K architecture.com. I'm going to head to Minnesota in just a moment. But first, thanks to this episode's sponsors. Hey, Nano Brewers, Fermentus, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation, is now offering dry ale and lager yeasts in flexible 100-gram pouches. Try their Safe Ale WBO6 yeast in the convenient 100-gram pouch the perfect solution for wheat-based beers. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit Fermentus.com. An ABS commercial is excited to be part of today's podcast. ABS is a full brewery outfitter offering brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts. As part of ABS commercials ongoing give back campaign, they're going to be giving away two more ABS keg Viking keg washers by the end of 2022. So head on over to abs-commercial.com to enter to win a keg Viking. No strings attached, just enter and you could win. That's abs-commercial.com. And whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today or go to grainfather.com to learn more. 
Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. I've had Minnesota on the mind, and maybe you have too. The annual Craft Brewers Conference is coming up next month in the Twin Cities. And as I was looking around for road trip ideas and breweries to visit, I came across Chaotic Good, a nano brewery that opened a few years ago in Casson. Soon, I was talking to Scott Stroh. He's the co-founder and brewer about his small brewery that just so happens to be located on his home property. It's a fun story of going pro, making the best out of local legal restrictions, and applying an engineering background into making good beer. Scott walks us through it all, and he spoke to the show from his house. It hits everybody at different times. Do you remember how long after you started home brewing that you had the bug to open up your own place? It was early. Uh, probably within, well, the thought first would have crossed my mind somewhere in the first year or two of homebrewing. Um, but that's, that's kind of how all my hobbies go as I go, okay, this is fun. How can I have an excuse to do this more? Aside from brewing, what else have you taken to extreme steps? Oh, let's see. Uh, I was a blacksmith for a while. I had, uh, a couple of summers where I did craft shows as a blacksmith. Uh, I did I did YouTube for for a couple of years. Uh, you know, all all sorts of things. It's like, oh well, this is fun. But uh, but brewing is one that I've that has stuck around. I've been brewing for about fifteen years now. And when you decided to put Chaotic Good together as a professional business, though. Do you remember what it was like? What was the appealing part from going from, you know, hobbyist to, okay, I'm going to try to make some money and I'm going to have to get permits and I'm going to have to. Yeah. So it's been, uh, well, it, it was about 10 years as a back burner. Wouldn't this be fun dream? And, uh, and I'm a, you know, this is a story that's all, all too familiar these days, but I'm a teacher by day and <laughs> I needed out. I, I, I needed to find a way to, to work myself out of teaching, uh, and, you know, between the combination of a couple of, of pretty rough, rough years in the classroom. And this was pre pandemic, this was pre pre COVID. Um, and then my wife and I, for our anniversary one year, went out to Michigan and toured a bunch of breweries out there and just made a week of it. And the, the combination of seeing some of the things others have done and, feeling like I was nearing the end of teaching one way or the other. And then Minnesota had some shifts both in laws and in culture that, that made something small like this feasible, something where I could, there actually was a path to get started without having $6 million to, to get off the ground. Yeah. Not a lot of high school physics and engineering teachers have a, a cool couple of mill just sitting around. Yeah, not many, especially yeah. not if their spouse is also a teacher. <laughs> right. I mean, come to think of it, that sounds a lot like journalism as well. But <laughs> yes. um, what were the 
we don't have to go too deep, but what were the laws and what were the cultural changes that took place in your state? Yeah. So when I first started, you know, looking into, could, could I even do something uh, on a small scale as a brewery at that time, Minnesota didn't allow tap rooms for breweries. Uh, if you, if you could be a brew pub, if you were a restaurant that made your own beer, but in order to, to be a brewery and not have a restaurant, all you could do was distribution. And that, uh, that's a very hard, hard market to make a living at in, yeah, boy, howdy. on a small yeah. scale. Um, but that, so that changed in Minnesota and they allowed, started allowing tap rooms. And then as uh, crawlers started to get popular, because Minnesota is, has, in, for a lot of reasons, is a little strange. Uh, I love it, but it's strange. But we're only, a brewery here is only allowed to sell in direct to customer in either 750s or 64 ounce containers. It's so ridiculous. I was just talking to another brewer about this recently, and I was just gobsmacked by that fact. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> politics aside, it's, you know, it's limiting. And uh, when, but when the crawlers, when the 750 cans started gaining in popularity, they started making it into places like small restaurants, little mom and pop shops, you know, the mom and pop pizza place would have crawlers from, from local or, or regional breweries in addition to, you know, the 12 ounce cans and stuff on tap. And so that opened up a lot more distribution options on a small scale because, because while legally we could have done it for a long time, uh, it didn't catch on until somewhat recently for those smaller venues to carry the big cans from local breweries. Yeah. And so I mean, that makes sense. So you saw the path forward when those laws changed. Yeah. Between the laws changing and then that, that shift of people being willing to, and interested in wanting to have the, have something like a crawler from the local brewery at the local pizza shop or the local liquor store or places like that. Yeah. So when you decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and do this. We don't have $6 million. Uh, You looked at what you did have, which from your description, and I want to hear you say it in your own words, though, uh, I have my notes in front of me, but um, I want to hear about your Frankenstein system. Oh yeah. So I, as soon as I got this bug where it's like, man, it'd be fun to start a brewery 10 years ago. uh, Me being who I am started collecting and and piecing together things that might be able to be used uh and one of the things that i found along the way were was a set of 55 gallon stainless steel drums uh and i was able to to you know i cut the lids off of a couple of them and i put valves and spigots and everything in them and i built this brew stand focused around these these three 55 gallon stainless drums and, and that was started as something that we would use with the homebrew club to do, you know, 10 guys would get together and make 50 gallons of beer and split it between us. Yeah. And, and that evolved into uh, what became my, my startup stand for, for chaotic good. 
but I joke that, you know, I'm the, the amusing combination of having been raised by farm kids, but trained as an engineer. And, and so I know how things should work and how things could work and try to find that middle ground. And so I, I'm likely the only licensed brewery in the state whose brew stand is made from welded together bed frames. Okay. <laughs> the yeah, so it's um I mean you should take that question to the guild, but I mean I I probably <laughs> right. put money on it. I, I'm going with it until someone someone proves me wrong. <laughs> the but the I'm gonna look one of the Marty brothers shows up at your house and is like new home and, and shells, <laughs> we've been doing this you know, <laughs> since the 1850s. It's you know, yeah. great great grandpappy's bed frame was our original, yeah. Right. Um yeah. the that, God, that was the steel i had on hand you know yeah um can i want to go back to these 55 gallon stainless steel drums what were they used for prior to your homebrew club exploits? they they started their life as um syrup containers for a coca-cola plant okay um is where they where they started their life okay Yep. That's that's so cool. I mean, it, it, you don't see a lot of those come on the market, I imagine. No, and this was uh, it. Actually, it pops up on my you know my social media memories every year, and you know this is close to ten years ago, and it was about a four hour drive from where from where I live, and I when it popped up, you know when I saw that and it, and the price was was unbeatable. I think I got three of them for. 350 or 400 bucks something oh, like that come on yeah uh but it was a bit of a drive sure, oh, sure. all i had was a little four-door car there was no way i was going to get him home so i i messaged a friend of mine that lived an hour further yet from me who was up for an adventure so he he had a you know a little small pickup so he drove the hour to pick me up and then we drove you know to the next state over to get him at like eight eight thirty at night <laughs> it was it was an adventure see that that's that's a good brewing origin story you know it, it it just gives it a little bit more life i like that um all right so you have your bed frame and coca-cola built brewery uh the state laws have changed and now you need a location yeah and, that... and real estate ain't cheap no 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 it really isn't and and you know there's there's certain things you need in order to to run a brewery you know to not you got to have drains in the floor or it's just not gonna work yeah and and nowhere around here really had that and and again it's not cheap uh but i am i am fortunate that i i live in a relatively small town that is willing to uh be creative uh, so our, our real estate, we, uh, it turns out we already had the real estate. We, we built the brewery in our backyard. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All right. Had, uh, yeah. So we, we had existing one, a little 10 foot by 16 foot garden shed back there. And I was like, cement well, floor already plumbed. Yeah. Cement. Well, yeah. Already there. No plumbing, Okay. but, but it existed. Uh, it was literally just a, just a little storage shed. So we lifted that building up and made it an extra four feet taller. 
uh, and in the process dropped it, which is where the name of our IPA shed drop comes from. Okay. Uh, and you didn't drop it on purpose. This was a no, correct. Okay. Uh, we did not drop it on purpose, but my dad was inside when we dropped it, uh, which was uh, not ideal. Laughing, but yeah, yeah, I, it's he was all right. right. All right. Yeah, no, no one was hurt except for my pride. Okay. Because um, I mean, you're a professional brewing operation now, so you know OSHA violations count. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But this was this was before that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this was this is pre OSHA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, OSHA loves listening to this show, you know, mostly just oh, to follow leads, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fortunately, I have a friend who is a former OSHA, uh, OSHA compliance attorney. Okay. Uh, so if it gets really bad, I'll call her. Gotcha. The, uh, um, yeah. So I lifted this little 10 by 16 building up and then I added on to it another, another roughly 10 by 16 piece roughly doubling my size and uh, put all of the plumbing into the new concrete for the new section. Got it all built to, to commercial food code and, uh, and away we went. You say you have a cool little town and clearly you do um, that, that, that they were, you know, willing to permit you on something like this. Were there hurdles? Were there, head scratches were there i mean you can be cool but also yeah skeptical. there was like i mean there was a process for sure uh so i had to i had to get a conditional use permit from the city to allow it uh and that took a couple of back and forths on where the line would be how big is this thing going to be how much are you going to be making um the uh yeah my my argument going into it was hey if you know, the lady across the street can sell fancy bags out of her house. Why can't I sell beer? Uh, and, and they took it. They, they, they went with that. They thought that was a reasonable argument. Um, and so I'm limited in my hours that I can do off sale. And I'm, I can't do any on sale. So I can't pour pints here. Okay. Um, so there, there were some significant limiters if if this was going to become my full day full time day job i would need you know it wouldn't they would have been too limiting for that but as a way to start and a way to get get my feet in and you know and and start going it worked yeah i mean so cuz now i'm sure that there are people who are listening who are saying okay well you know maybe i can put a shed maybe i can you know start my nano you know smaller and have uh the world's best commute um but it also sounds like you're living in a neighborhood where i i, I originally i was thinking like when i heard about your story i was thinking of like Sean Larson uh, Lawson uh who in Vermont when he first started his thing like they were in their house um you know, there's a, a a rope and a fence at the end of the driveway that was like, we are not open to the public. Like if you found our address, like good for you, we don't want you here. <laughs> um, you know, which I think was, you know, part law, but also, you know, part privacy and everything. But that was also a remote um, ish location, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, you have a lady across the street who's running a running a, a, a fashion empire. Um, how were these conversations that one you had to have with the, with, with, with your neighbors of like, Hey, I'm going to be doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, a lot of my neighbors, especially real close 
you know, I, I know them well. They've been drinking my beer for years as a home brewer anyway. Um, and, but the, as a part of that whole process, the city sent out a notice to every, every property owner within, I think it was 500 feet or a thousand feet of our, of our property here. Now there was a public hearing at a city council meeting. There was opportunity for written notice for people to express concerns or, or any issues or problems they might have with it. Uh, and did, did you face many hurdles? Uh, none. Uh, oh. One of my neighbors walked over after they, after they got the letter uh, and asked if it would smell. Okay. Legitimate uh, concern. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I said it really shouldn't, and if you notice anything, please tell me, cause it means I'm doing something wrong. Right. Um, they were, there were no concerns. In fact, almost every day while I was out there working on building the building, he'd walk over and bring me cookies. So well, that's nice. Okay. He seemed to be on board. So, all right. So the neighbors are on board. Um, your wife is your business partner in this as well. So like, she's clearly on board with it. Um, I'm wondering like how you, so let's talk about when you're open for business and how, when people come through, like they're coming onto your property, like that, that's gotta be kind of weird or maybe, I mean, I, I don't know. You're, you're from the Midwest and very nice. I'm from New Jersey where I'm like, I don't want people traipsing up my driveway. Right. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a little bit of that, but there's also a little bit of Minnesota nice. Sure. Um, and, and I know, I'm really trying to get my head out of like, you know, my East coast ass here. Right. Uh, but yeah. Well, and one of the, the silver linings of, of all of the pandemic response over the last couple of years is people have gotten accustomed to curbside pickup. That is, that was not a thing around here pre pre COVID. Uh, but it, it's, it's par for the course now. So the, the typical transaction is, uh, and when I say it this way, it sounds a little sketchy, but they just pull up and call me, you know, my number's on the sign and we've got a little menu on the side of the, you know, uh, by the curb that says what we got in cans that week. And, and they'll pull up and they'll just give me a call if I'm not already out there uh, and tell me what they want. I grab it out of the cooler and walk it out to their car for them. And, uh, and away they go. Everyone, you know, every once in a while, somebody's excited about what's going on and they want to come see the brewery and, uh, and that's fine. I'll, you know, get the, the tour of my, my whole 320 square feet in about 45 seconds. And, right. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely a little bit of a, um, privacy barrier that, that gets pushed. Yeah. Um, that that will be it will be nice when that's uh, when that's not an issue in the future. But uh, at the same time, it it make you know it makes the whole thing more personable. You know, we're we're just people doing what we can do. Yeah. So it's still a uh, fifty gallon, so barrel and a half uh, system. Uh, you have two three barrel fermenters or thereabouts, um, yep. and then you are doing kegs to retail. Yeah. Yep. We've got. About let's see, three or four consistent places that that keep us on pretty regularly, and then another half dozen or so that are come and go as they rotate through. 
That's awesome. And then Crowlers, did I see you're doing the the twist off tops? Yeah, yeah. And uh, talk to me about those. What I mean, I, I know everything's in shortage these days. Was that born out of necessity, or do you just? Uh, dig them? It was. It was a equipment necessity. Okay. Uh, that I went with those. So, uh, and then it's just a function of of that I like them. But the initially, you know, the whole beginning process was how can I get started? How can I get into this? And I can grow as I grow, but I just got to start. And can seamers aren't cheap. Uh, I mean, they're not as, they're not insanely expensive, but when you're building a, you know, 10 by 16 shed in your backyard relative to that, can seamer is a, is a significant, uh, uh, piece of money that, that we just didn't have at startup. So at the very beginning, I was, I was actually filling um, 750 milliliter bottles that I could just cap with sure. the same capper I used as a home brewer. Uh, but, and that work got us through the first winter, but I, I really wanted to be into cans by, by spring and summer, because there's a lot of areas around here where alcohol is allowed, beer is allowed, just not yeah. glass. Uh, and, and the, you know, the liquor stores didn't want glass, you know, they're just bombers are, are kind of out of fashion. Uh, and, yeah, no, you can't. Yeah. So with these, uh, with these twist top cans, I'm able to counter pressure fill them with the same fillers I was using for the bottles. And so that, so I can, you know, CO2 purge it, I can fill it under pressure and then, and I didn't need additional equipment to be able to use them. And one of the, or a couple of the, the side benefits of them has been really nice because they stand out on the shelf. Yeah. I'm the only person around here using them. So they, they draw attention to my little foot and a half of shelf space. And I mean, it certainly caught my attention on, on social media. Yeah. And, and customers have really loved them because they pour so much nicer than a standard crawler. Okay. Um, those standard crawlers are so hard to, at least for me and for a lot of people I talk to, to pour it into a glass and not have, have it foam everywhere. Sure. Hard to get a good pour out of, but these pour a lot nicer. And for somebody who's camping or hiking or fishing or, or anything like that, you can close it back up. You can yeah. open it up take a swig while you're on the beach fishing and then put the cap back on. So you don't get sand in your, in your beer. I dig it. Um, so things are obviously going well. You're, you're have a few draft accounts. You're, you're moving crawlers out of the backyard. Um, you're going to keep your system, but you're going to actually have a commute now or fairly soon. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as I possibly can, I'll have a whopping 10 block commute. Well, I, it's, you know, that's significantly more than what. Judah, how many steps is it from your back door to the shed? Uh, you know, I yeah. haven't counted yet, oddly enough. I should I should know this, but it's probably about 35 steps. Okay. Yeah. So 10 blocks is, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a hike. So you're moving into a proper building. Yeah. Yep. We just We just bought a new building in town here. Uh, almost a month ago, it's the 18th of 18th of March, and we're just waiting on building permits now so we can start renovating and and we're going and then we'll be able to have our regular tap room. 
and and you're you're going to keep your nano system you mentioned that that is the plan um i have uh, like i said i've been piecing stuff together for 10 years so i have another uh another mash ton and another boil kettle that that i'll that i goofed when i when i built the shed and they don't fit through my door <laughs> uh and i just don't really have the square footage for them anyway but sure they'll, but there'll be room for them in the new space okay then i'll be able to to step up to three barrel batches and i won't have to double batch everything yeah so is it bittersweet as you start to think about a potential move of you know leaving this place that uh uh you know leaving your backyard for for someplace else or is it just an exciting new chapter it's 98 an, an exciting new chapter um this this was never meant to be a long-term uh spot you know i i i figured we'd be here more than a, a year and a half i was expecting three to five years um so we're a little ahead of schedule there but yeah which is a good thing but the uh but it it is mostly a good thing. I mean, I'll miss, yeah, there are aspects of it that I will miss. You know, my, uh, uh, my five-year-old won't pop in to ask if he can dump some greens in the mash sure. as often. Um, but I'm also, uh, this is also, I'm, I'm leaving teaching now. So uh, I get to make this the day job. I imagine that there are some folks listening who are now furiously scribble, scribble, scribbling down, excuse me, um, uh, business plans based on their backyard. And I, I know I alluded <laughs> to that before. Um, but for somebody who is considering walking this particular path, what's your advice? Check with your city first, right? Make sure they're, they would be on board. And then check with the state first before you put a penny into anything, uh, because some you know there are there are municipalities that would absolutely not even entertain the idea. Uh, and don't plan on it to be a long term solution. Uh, if you're just looking for a way to to fund your hobby and have a have a forty hour a week hobby. <laughs> Um, it's great, but, but it's, uh, it's tight. It's hard to, uh, hard to, hard to stay in the black when you're yeah. running on such a small scale, especially if you're relying on, on self-distribution to do it. Um, I know you are what an hour and a half hour, 15, uh, South of the twin cities thereabouts. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the brewing community is coming in in a few weeks for the annual craft brewers conference. Um, are you going to be open if, if people are making the trek? We, we will somewhat, uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to be up at call the, ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Call ahead. Shoot me an email or, or uh, <laughs> give me a call. Um, cause I'm going to be up at the craft brewers conference. Okay. And, uh, you know, like I said, my wife's still a teacher by day. So, so the, so yes, with the caveat of also no. Okay. <laughs> um, what I was actually trying to get to was um, 
for those who are unfamiliar with uh, Minneapolis, but also, um, you know, Minnesota in general, what's your what's your advice for checking out the city? Boy, you know, there is a lot to do in in the you know, we around here. We call it the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul and and the whole area surrounding that. Uh, I, I wouldn't even know where to, I wouldn't hardly even know where to get started on, on suggesting breweries. Cause there's a, just a ton of great beer up there. Uh, but it's also not too far for some, from some other great spots, you know, us included, if I'm not biased, but sure. Uh, Rochester and Oatana are both about an hour and a half South. I'm midway between those two towns with some amazing, uh, amazing beer options and wonderful people. And, and then just a couple hours north from there, you get to Duluth, which is uh, a, another craft beer mecca in, uh, in Minnesota here. Yeah, Duluth's a cool city. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And there's a variety. You know, there, there is the craft beer scene has grown enough over the last uh, handful of years here in Minnesota that there's a niche. And whatever niche you're looking for, there's probably a brewery that specializes in it that's awesome it's uh yeah I, I would encourage anybody who uh has some extra time to spend in the state when you're there to drive around to check it out it's uh it always seems like it's a lot of fun yeah and if i remember right i think the minnesota craft brewers guild is organizing some uh curated tours brewery tours where they'll stick you on a bus and drive you i think up to duluth or down to rochester or around the cities. Okay. I think I saw an email uh, about, about some of those, but I could be wrong. All right. Well, consult your local Google to, to find out or the uh, Minnesota Brewers Guild. Um, Scott, thanks for taking us on this journey of your, of your brewery and, and where you're going and, and, and how you got started. Uh, this, was, this was a lot of fun and uh, hopefully uh, inspired a, a bunch of folks to chase their dream in the same way. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly been an adventure. Are you doing anything fun and interesting with your nano? If so, tell us about it. You can email nano at byo.com. And if you're going to Minneapolis for the conference, we'll be there. If you spot anyone from the BYO team walking around, please stop and say hi. And I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nano podcast, where you can subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month. So subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing us at nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And thanks to this episode's sponsors. Hey, Nano Brewers, Fermentus, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation, is now offering dry ale and lager yeasts in flexible 100-gram pouches. Try their Safe Ale WBO6 yeast in the convenient 100-gram pouch, the perfect solution for wheat-based beers. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit Fermentus.com. An ABS commercial is excited to be part of today's podcast. ABS is a full brewery outfitter offering brew houses, 
tanks, keg washers, and small parts. As part of ABS Commercial's ongoing Give Back campaign, they're going to be giving away two more ABS Keg Viking keg washers by the end of 2022. So head on over to abs-commercial.com to enter to win a keg Viking. No strings attached, just enter and you could win. That's abs-commercial.com. And whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes, or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today, or go to grainfather.com to learn more. Also, get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. Find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day.